0: Well, greetings, friends, and hello to everybody at our other campus and anybody who's joining us by live stream. My name is James Ford. I am the singles and discipleship pastor here at the Heights. Uh, I hope that everybody's having a fruitful summer so far. My lady and I have had the opportunity to get away for a week, uh, and then we turned around almost immediately, packed up our stuff and left with one of our missions teams to go to Nicaragua, uh, which while we're on the subject, I just encourage everyone in the room, go to Nicaragua. We usually send a team uh, a few times a year, one in the the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall. And I can tell you that the ministry that's going on down there is incredibly worthwhile and our ministry partners at Chosen Children are some of the most wonderful and hardworking people that you can ever imagine. And it's a privilege to be able to work alongside them and to serve the ministry that they have going on uh, continually down there. So I encourage you, if you have the opportunity, and you will have the opportunity, Make the time to go. Uh, so there, there were a few teams that when we went. There was a, a team doing construction. We had a medical team. We had a team doing vacation Bible school uh, and a team doing English as a second language. In the mornings, I had the opportunity to uh, join one of the teams walking around the barrios in the mornings, uh, just having conversations with some of the people in the area and getting to know them and using these little bracelets to uh, share the gospel with people and talk about Jesus. Uh, and in the afternoons, I had the opportunity to teach a Bible class. For some of the men and women in the community. Uh, And so it was funny, every day I came with a lesson and I had a passage in mind, I had a topic in mind, and I told them every time, uh, I'm going to come with a passage. And if you have a topic in mind though, if you have a question about the Bible, about a passage in the Bible, an event in the Bible, a story in the Bible, if you have any question, we will throw out my passage and my topic and we'll deal with that instead. I gave them this option every day. And so the first day, no takers. I think they were just being a little bit shy. And the second day, no takers. Day three, no takers. No takers until the very last day. And so I came in with a lesson about love. You know, God's love for us. Love is the mark of a true Christian. Love of neighbor. Uh, love of enemies. And I gave them the last option. I said, look, if you have any questions, if you have any topics that you're curious about, let me know. And we'll do that instead. And so very gingerly, there was a woman. I mean, we are in this tin house, a small tin house, and there was a woman sitting over on the side, and she raises her hand, and we have a translator, so she says something in Spanish, and the translator tells me she wants to know about the Sabbath, you know, the Christian's obligation for the Sabbath, uh, you know, what the, the meaning of the Sabbath, and I'm just kind of like looking at her, and then another woman chimes in in the back corner, and she says, uh, yeah, God and Jesus Christ, are, are those two different people? Let's see... And (laughs) no, And so it's like, we wait till the very last day and then all of a sudden everyone wants to drop theological bombs. And so for about 75 minutes, we tried to make heads and tails of some of those complex doctrines, but it was a great time. Uh, And then my lady and I got to come back. And uh, apparently while we were in Nicaragua, something was festering over here. And so you guys got us sick as soon as we came back. And so I've been struggling with that this week. April's at home. She's out for the count. So you can pray for her Uh, and you can endure with me if I trip over my words or lose my, breath or something. But part of my summer is that I get to spend this time with you, which is always fun. And I decided to do that from Isaiah 55. So if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 55 or a Bible app. Isaiah 55 is in the Old Testament. Uh, If you split the Bible right in half, you get to the Psalms and then you start flipping to the right and you get to Isaiah. Uh, It's a pretty big book, so it's difficult to miss. You probably won't pass it by. Isaiah 55. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 today. And the verses that we're going to look at anticipate the establishment of God's kingdom. The verses that we're looking at look forward to a time when God and his wisdom and his spirit and his word would rule and reign. And because of what we believe has happened in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's begun already. And so the invitation that's held out in these passages can be held out to everybody in this room as is. And the invitation that this passage holds out is held out using the image of a feast. I've really come to love how fruitful and how how beneficial, how helpful the image of food can be in explaining uh, spiritual realities using physical realities. Oftentimes, the Bible will use the image of food or the image of a feast to use physical realities to bring spiritual realities or whole life realities into sharper focus. And so when it comes to food, there's an issue of life. Uh, you, know, you deal with food, there's an the issue of nourishment, of health, satisfaction. And all of those are not just physical concerns, but spiritual concerns. And so there's physical and spiritual life. There's physical and spiritual satisfaction and nourishment and health. And so the Bible uses often these painfully obvious truths from the physical realm using the food image. It brings those, those spiritual truths into sharper focus. And so this passage is playing on that comparison And so Isaiah chapter 55, we'll start in verse 1, and we're just going to deal with verse 1 and 2 today. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Now, this passage is addressed to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament concerning their idolatry, the coming judgment, uh, repentance, and restoration. And for the sake of time today, we're not going to deal with Any of that. It's against my nature, it doesn't feel right, but for the sake of time, we're not going to deal with any of the heavy lifting that this passage is doing in the context of Isaiah's message or in Israel's history. If you're interested in all of that, you can feel free to sign up for the Old Testament discipleship class on Wednesday nights in the fall, and we can talk all about that. If you're not interested in any of that, you can sign up for our discipleship class starting September 9th on the Old Testament, and we'll get you interested in that. But we don't have time for any of that today. Today, all I want to do. Today, all I want to do is I want to meditate on this passage. I want to see what it says about what God's like, what it says about what we're like, and I would like to extend afresh the invitation that's held out in these verses. Cool? Okay, let's do that. All right, so we're going to look this. Uh, we're going to break this passage up into four parts. We're going to look at a choice, a question, an invitation, and a cost. Those are our four points for today. We're going to look at a choice, a question, an invitation, and a cost. So first, the choice. The the choice that's held out in these verses is a matter of of whether or not you're going to let God reign in your life, whether or not you're going to come under God's word, listen to it, do it, obey it, and let it have its effect in your life. And so if you come to church, you probably would expect to hear something like that. It's not the most theologically uh, rich theme. You probably wish that you were in the tin hut in Nicaragua doing something a little more complex because you've heard that before. But the image of the food, the image of the food brings the, the choice and the God who issues that choice into sharper focus. And so the first way that that choice to come under God's word and God's reign is pictured is by the image of water. A, ma- a matter of whether or not you will have water. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, because of the role that this substance plays in our existence, there are a few kind of gut-level associations that we have with this substance. Life. Uh, life as we know it does not exist apart from this substance. Right? We, like I said, me and my lady have been sick this week, and so we've been monitoring very well how much of this we're getting, taking more of this than we need because of the role that it plays Pertaining to life, right? So there's life, but there's also refreshment, revival. And that's what God is saying about himself. That's what God is saying about his word and coming under his word and his reign. There's life there, resuscitation, revival. And so God is saying this about all of life. If you are thirsty in 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 your family, in your relationships, in your pursuits, in your work, in your own soul, come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. But don't be so quick to individualize this that you miss uh, the implications for, for, for the rest of life. Because one of this, this verse, these verses are written in one of the longest books of the Bible. And one of the central concerns of that book of the Bible is systems, powers, nations, institutions. And so what's going on here is kind of a contrast. When God says, Come to the waters, he is implicitly saying, If you are worn out, From systems, from governments, from institutions that are short-sighted, that are greedy, that are foolish, that are self-serving and obstinate, come know the life-giving rule and reign as you put yourself under God's word. And so I want to time out there, and I want to take two steps away from the sermon, and I want to address one group of people who may be among us, uh, and it's the skeptic. I know everybody who's here probably isn't here because they love Jesus. You know, some people, you know, just maybe are checking things out, trying to figure out what Christianity is about. Maybe you did something really awful yesterday, and you're feeling guilty, and so you figured, I'm going to come to church and kind of, you know, get the scale, uh, weighed in the right direction. Or maybe somebody who loves you dragged you here because they believe all this stuff, and they want you to know this life-giving God. But I'm a skeptic by nature. Skepticism is my spiritual gift. And so I know how certain things sound through skeptical ears. And so I know that there might be some of you who are sitting in the seat and you're thinking, okay, this is what, this is what Christians do. This is what religion does. You know, they, they, they talk to people who have had a rough go of it. And they say, oh, aren't you tired? You know, don't, don't things stink? Don't you want things to be better? And then they sell them Christianity as a crutch. I know that's what, that's, that's what you guys do. That's how you guys get people to join your weird little cult. Just saying. I know, I know. There's somebody in here who thinks that I just read their mind. I know because I'm I'm skeptic by nature. But listen, two things when it comes to this water image that you need to make sure not to miss, for you specifically, skeptic, is is one, while this passage is, is dealing with a felt need, while this passage is offering itself up to deal with a very real need that people very well may feel, one thing you need to remember from the water image is you can be thirsty and not know it. Both sides of the metaphor. You can be thirsty and not know it. We almost had a group of people, a group of people, a couple of people in our Nicaragua trip who almost got themselves in big trouble because they were thirsty and they did not know it. Their bodies needed water and they didn't realize that some of the things that they felt were because they were dehydrated. And that's the same is true on the spiritual side of things. Same is true on the other side of the metaphor. You can be sitting here thirsty and absolutely not know it. But all of those needs aside, this passage is making an objective claim about how the world works. This passage is saying that you were made for God, and you can only do without Him as much as your body can do without water. And if you try to ignore this invitation, you will shrivel up your soul today, tomorrow, and the age to come, it will happen. Now, you can ignore that. You can can deny that. You can actually do business with this claim and try to figure out why the Bible says that and talk to some Christian friends, come find me after the service in the middle of the concourse and talk about that. But it's a claim that this passage is making about all of life. It's not just pandering to some felt need. It's saying, this is how the world works and you need to do business with it. So, Time back in. That's enough for the skeptics. Back to the sermon. So this this substance, life, resuscitation, that's what God is saying about his reign and coming under his word. But the fact that the picture doesn't stop there helps us know so much about what God is like. Because water, that's life. That, that, that's survival that will keep you from dying. But the picture doesn't end there. There's this, this, this image of, of wine and milk and rich food. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. At the very end, eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So I hope we, I hope we got these... These, right, so this is, our, this is our picture of rich food. I tried to get some cheese on there because uh, I know that fruits and vegetables don't you know strike everybody's fancies, but rich food, wine, milk, the fact that the image plays in that direction helps us know a lot about what God is like because as you read the Bible at every turn, you realize that God is not a God of the basics, that with God, everything is in three dimensions and full color. I've told my wife that if I were, you know, if I created the world, everything would be structurally sound, but everything would be beige. (laughs) Sky, beige. Clouds, beige. Trees, beige. Dirt, beige. Seats, beige. All of you guys, beige. I'm kind of beige, and so maybe I'm partial, but I'm just saying, I would not have thought of colors. My wife is the color in our two-person family. I'm just just trying to make sure things work, but that's not what God is like. That's not what God is like. God color was God's idea. God is the one who decided that, that nourishment, the stuff that keeps your body going, should involve taste buds and flavors, endless flavors, not just food, cuisine. That was God's idea. God is the God that decided that procreation should be a lot of fun. That it was his idea. God is the God, the laugh. What is the laugh? Like, have you ever thought about that? You know, like when you stare at somebody's face so long that you don't, like, you don't recognize them anymore, even though, like, they're, it might be, like, a family member. Have you ever thought that, like, that hard about the laugh? What is a laugh? The closest thing to a laugh is a sneeze. You know, there's, you know, something irritates your nasal passage, and so there's this involuntary contraction, this expulsion of air, so, and the sneeze is like that, or the, excuse me, the, the laugh is like that, but it's something hits your brain in such a way that happiness happens and then all of a sudden your body starts making involuntary music <laughs> like try to stop right now like th- just think about like wh- why why did that just happen and why couldn't i control that what is a laugh that's what god is like friends conversations the platypus that's what god is like It doesn't just work. There's beauty, there's textures, there's colors. And the picture of these good things in this passage reminds us, and bear with me because I'm getting ready to call God a thing, even though he's a person, but just bear with me. These good things remind us that God is the good thing who created all good things, and that all good things point back to God. So anytime you hear a baby laugh, Anytime you eat some good food, and we're Southern Baptists, so I know we're going to eat some good food. Anytime you have a good conversation, enjoy time with a good friend, that should remind you, that should provoke you to think about, what man, how good is this God if the stuff that he created is so good? And it should drive us either, either for the first time ever or once again to worship. It should remind us of what God is like. And as God invites us to good things, ultimately the best thing that he invites us to is himself. But this passage also helps us understand what we're like because we're the ones who reject that good God and his good design. Now, we might still want some of his stuff, but we don't thank him for it. We don't honor him with it. and We don't use it the way that he designed. That tells us what we're like. And so that leads us to the question. We have the choice. That leads us to the question. In verse 2, God stands back and with a puzzled look on his face says, Why would you wear yourself out for substitutes? You know, why would you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Now, and I actually think at this point, this, this picture, this image actually comes into sharper focus for us than it did for the original audience, because while the, the ancient Israelites could think about bread and the idea of something that's not bread that you can eat, because of the innovation of the food industry, we actually have concrete pictures of things that you can eat that are not actually food, right? I don't think the ancient Israelites knew what Cheetos were. I don't know what a Cheeto is. Right? I don't think that the ancient Israelites had, had, I have some up here somewhere, had gushers. Does anybody remember gushers? Had anybody forgot about gushers? I just lost somebody for the rest of the service, but I'll like, bring one to you if you can pay attention for the rest. I've never seen one of these out in the wild. Like, I have never seen the tree that these grow on. Right? That, other, than, other, than, other than sugar and flavor, does anybody know a single ingredient in gushers? There aren't any ingredients. It's, I mean, it's, it's, they're ingredients, but they're, they're just chemicals. This isn't food. This is a science project. And so we have a very concrete picture of what it looks like to eat something that's not actually food, right? Now imagine trying to live off of this stuff. Camera, can we, can we, get like a, can we make sure that we have this? Imagine trying to live off of this stuff. None of that, all of this. You know, you, 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 for breakfast, you kind of, you get up and you have some of this. You go to work, you go to school, you have some more of this. Come home for dinner at the end of the day, almond joy. But you have to take out the almonds because those don't count. Or the coconut. Right? Imagine living your life, it was pretty before, off of this stuff. Imagine how unhealthy you would be. Imagine how how tired you would be, the lack of of vibrancy that there would be. I mean, you would look like somebody walking around from the walking dead set. It's like, hey Frank, how you doing? Oh, I'm tired. Okay. There There would be no energy. There would be no life. But that's what this passage is saying exactly that we do. That we try to live our life off of things that aren't God, that aren't his wisdom, that aren't his will, and that aren't his word. And the reason why we do it, the reason why we do it is because this is always made to taste like this, right? Both sides of the metaphor. This always tastes like this, sometimes more so. You know, aren't these a little bit sweeter than these? That's what sin is like. That's what the course of the world is like. That's what the wisdom of the day is like. You know, th- this always is made to taste like this, but this is always simpler. This is always better for you. And so, before we get too lost in the in the in the image uh, examples, probably my my favorite example of this is gossip. When you gossip, you feel like you are making a connection with somebody. That's why people do it. I mean, there's a little bit of entertainment value there, but for the most part, it's you feel like you're connecting with somebody. Something something good is you know I trust you and you trust me, and so we're going to talk with each other about that person. That means that we like each other and that we're in and that they're out. And so we, we, we're making a connection. We like each other. And that lasts up until you leave and then I'm perfectly pleased to gossip about you even with the person that we were just gossiping about. I've been working since I was like 15. I've seen this just days in and days out. It's, and if you're connecting with somebody though, that's, that's, that's the gushers version. There's, there's nothing real there. There's no real substance there. There's not the real enjoyment of the real thing there. It just kind of kind of tastes the same. Right. Uh, another good example that might be lost on, on some of you and, and maybe a little seemingly uh, you know, out of the blue, uh, but increasingly relevant, games. iPad games, video games. When I was little, it used to be once you beat Bowser, that was it. You, you might come back, play a level here and there, but once you beat the game, the game was over. But increasingly... Games are meant to be unbeatable. They're made to be unbeatable. You can can achieve something else. You can unlock something else. You're always on the cusp of doing something else. And so while you sit there with this sense of achievement and, and accomplishment, really, you've just been sitting on the couch for hours on end, not accomplishing anything of any real consequence to anybody. And the examples are endless. You know, pornography, adultery. Workaholism, either for a, either to gain a sense of who you are in this world or to, to get a sense of security, you know, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. you know, living for the praise of men over and against the praise of God. And we do all these things. And again, don't be, don't be so quick uh, to individualize this that you lose some of the broader implications. The reason why people buy Gushers is because there's an industry that pays billions of dollars to get you to buy Gushers. I was watching a, a documentary this week uh, just about actual real food, no metaphor, uh, that, that said that basically almost everybody in this room, to some degree or another, is absolutely addicted to sugar. It's in everything. It's in ketchup. It's in everything. right? That they, there's actually like, there were times when people put sugar in baby formula so the babies would, would like it, and, and then the babies grow up and want more sugar, and one, you know, when they see the cartoon character they like on a box of Gushers... The reason why people buy these... It's because there's people who pay good money for you to buy these. Other side of the metaphor. Some of the reason why some of you may have come in here worn out, hungry, thirsty, is because there is a world out there that has paid good money to get you to live off of things that aren't bread and things that don't satisfy off the the course of this world and the wisdom of the day. And it takes God's God's word. It takes God, God's spirit. It takes God's people to live in a world where TV shows romanticize adultery. You know, it's you know, kind of. You only live once, and uh, you got to do what makes you happy, and you got to be true to you. You know how the Bible describes adultery? I think it's Proverbs six. God asks, "Can you scoop up fire and hold it close to your chest, and your clothes not get burned?" It takes God's God's word and God's wisdom, God's spirit and God's people to live in a world where youthfulness, top 40, youthfulness is celebrated in such a way that you are either going to be killed in your youth, or by the time you make it out of your youth, you're going to be totally used up and probably full of regrets. To live in a world where people define you by what you do, it's really hard not to live for the praise of men when everybody wants to know what everybody else thinks of you. To to, to to live in a world where everybody's trying to get you addicted to what they sell, whether it's food, drink, pornography, video games, or affirmation. In the middle of all that, God issues his invitation. Just come. And, and two things I want to point out about this invitation. One is the, the tone of the invitation. And the other thing is is uh, who the invitation is issued to. And so one, the, the tone. In verse 1, the very first word in verse 1 isn't actually come. In a lot of your translations, it's, it's translated come just to make it a little more intelligible uh, in, in English. But some of your translations, raise your hand if your translation says anything different in front of you. It might say like oh or, or ho oh, or some kind of call. It's really just kind of a... you know. A, Oh, yeah. oh! It's just, it's just a call. Oh, everyone who thirsts! But I mean, you, you think about it. God is issuing this call in its context and in this invitation being held out to you and me. God is issuing this call to people who have spat on the substance and accepted the substitutes, who have rejected Him his design, and He still calls. Oh! And you you get the sense of God being the the, the father in the parable of the the two sons, where he runs out to meet this obstinate, rebellious son in love. I mean, that's there in this passage. How? Everyone. Not, Not the one who's good, not the one who's bad, not the one who's weak, not the one who's strong, not the one who hasn't spit on the substance and accepted hand over fist the substitute at every turn. Everyone. Come everyone who thirsts. And probably the most beautiful, powerful words in this passage is that this invitation is extended to those who have nothing to offer. It says, come, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price, which calls our attention to the cost. This passage doesn't say to come receive without money and cost. Just come and get without money and without cost. It says come and buy without money and without cost. Come purchase with no cost to you, and even though you have nothing to offer. Now, how is it that those who have no money, who have spent what they do have on the substitutes, can still come and buy and eat. And if you're a member of our church, I hope you know the answer to this question. It's because the price has been paid for you. Jesus Christ lived in perfect faithfulness. He never accepted substitutes. John chapter 4 verse 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what sustains me. That's what fills me. That's what keeps me going. Jesus was faithful even to the point of death on a cross, and as he hung there, he said, I thirst. I thirst. As Jesus took the cup As he paid the price for you and I, he did it so that we could come to the table. Jesus was thirsty so that we could come to the waters. And the one who pays that cost is also the one who issues the invitation and the one by whom we are fed. When Jesus fed the 5,000, what do you think that that was a picture of? When Jesus turned water into wine, what do you think that that was a picture of? And this Jesus who can turn water into wine can bring joy where there is none. And this Jesus who can can multiply the loaves and the fish can make satisfaction and comfort where there is little. But you have to listen diligently. Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 27 and 35, says, "...do not labor for food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst." This picture of coming under God's word. And John chapter 1 says that that word became flesh and his name was Jesus. And so if you want to come under the the life-giving, sustaining word of God, that means coming under Jesus Christ. And it means you have to listen diligently to him, either for the first time ever or once again. Because just because you're a Christian, just because you're sitting in this room, does not mean that the past seven days, your relationship with God and his word has been characterized by listening diligently. But it all centers on Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus, coming under Jesus, making Jesus king. That's where life begins. That's where joy, true joy and satisfaction begins. So in light of this invitation, in light of what Jesus has done, hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come by, he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to him. And eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would search every heart in this room. I pray that you would help us, because we can be thirsty and absolutely not even know it. Well, I pray that you would not leave us in that state. I pray that you would search every heart in this room by your spirit, including mine, and that you would show us any place where we have accepted substitutes, any place where we are living in the course of this world and off the wisdom of the day, rather than under your word and under your son. I pray that you would search us right now and show that to us. I pray that you would show us what to do about that. We, we confess that there are places, even as believers, where we live in the course of this world and under the wisdom of the day, over and against the life-giving, satisfying, rich food that you have offered to us. I pray that you would captivate our hearts and our imaginations with the goodness of what you hold out for us and the goodness of your own person in such a way that we would look at substitutes with disgust and contempt and that we would know the rich life that you would have for us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for what he endured to invite us to the table. I pray that you would teach us how to feast on him, and I pray all of these things in his name. Amen.